This is the mop-up for September 28th, 2023. Well, last night's Republican debate, it's a lot of shouting and China bashing. But what really stood out for me was Tim Scott trying to make an audience of fragile white Republicans feel good. During last night's Republican debate, Senator Rick Scott, who is black, I wish I was making this up. Senator Rick Scott, who is black, insisted that America is not a racist country. Well, Tim, the party you're running in certainly is not a racist country. Okay, this is from somebody who grew up in South Carolina. Then, and I I don't know, then he compared slavery to welfare as though both were equally bad for black people, which repeats a a decades-old racist trope about black people and welfare. And he's black. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. I would play a clip. I'm not sure I'm allowed to or can, given my luck with the software lately. He admitted, yes, slavery was horrible, Okay, good. Thank you for that, Tim. (laughs) Thank you for... But then he said black people survive slavery. Then he implied what black people can't survive is the welfare state. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I was dreaming. He said that black families haven't been able to survive Lyndon Johnson's great society and all the welfare checks that have been sent to black families. He says that welfare destroyed the black family. He said, Lyndon Johnson decided, and I quote, I'm quoting Tim Johnson, quote, they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment and crime and devastation. Does he honestly believe that Lyndon Johnson said, I have an idea. Let's destroy the black family. We've got to pull the black man out by giving them welfare. First First of all, more white people per capita collect welfare than black people. All right, let's get that straight first. More white people per capita collect welfare than black people. Do you think Southern Democrats were ever going to approve a welfare program that disproportionately favored black people instead of disproportionately favoring white people? Are you? Yes, you are stupid. Look, they couldn't get Social Security passed in the 30s until Southern Democrats were guaranteed that agricultural workers, waitresses and nannies or any other job that black people were most likely to have, they They had to be ineligible for Social Security in order for Social Security to get passed by the Southern Democrats. So do you think for one second that welfare was ever designed for black people? No, the the Republicans, Tim Scott, your party uh, in the late 60s and then when Reagan took office, they used black people the lie about black people on welfare to get racists to vote against their own self-interest. The Republicans, Reagan did this by convincing 
white racists that only black people were on welfare. It was a lie. And these white idiots voted for Reagan because Reagan railed against the black welfare queen. And after a year of President Reagan, these white morons who voted for him said, hey, what happened to my welfare? I didn't think you'd take my welfare. I just thought you were going to get rid of the welfare for black people. I didn't think you were going to take my welfare. Tim Scott, there's something he's damaged. I mean, I'd, I'd say I'd feel sorry for him, but he's dangerous. In the debate, he pretty much said that welfare destroyed the black family because the black father left the house to go to the mailbox to get a welfare check. And that's what divided the family. I want to see your girlfriend, Tim Scott. You say you have a girlfriend. You say uh, she's a good Christian woman. You have yet to introduce her. I want to know how much self-loathing is going on with Tim Scott. I want to see that girlfriend that you claim you have. Meanwhile, Donald Trump said on Wednesday he's probably not going to pick any of those candidates who you saw on Fox News as his vice president. Well, Joe Biden calls himself the most pro-union president in American history, but he has a problem with the working class voter. And that includes union members. The BBC reports that back in 2020, Donald Trump got 40 percent of union voters. And that's the best any Republican candidate has done with union voters since Reagan. Sean Fain, the head of the United Auto Workers, is the only leader of a major union not to endorse Biden. He's making Biden work for that endorsement. So it's why Donald Trump skipped Wednesday night's Republican debate and instead courted the United Auto Workers vote by delivering a major address in Detroit where he said, Hopefully your leaders at United Auto Workers will endorse Donald Trump. Yeah, and how... Better to catch the striking United Auto Workers vote than by delivering your speech at auto parts manufacturer and supplier Drake Enterprises plant in Clinton Charter Township, Michigan. Only one little problem. It's a non-union plant. Trump is all about jobs, just not good paying jobs. Sean Fain, the head of the UAW, said Wednesday night that Donald Trump had an opportunity to stand with auto workers when he was president during the last UAW strike, but he did absolutely nothing for us. Trump, in his speech Wednesday night before non-union, anti-union, pro-something auto workers, in his speech Trump acknowledged that Joe Biden marched with striking auto workers on Tuesday. But then uh, then Trump added that the only reason Joe Biden showed up in Detroit on Tuesday was because he knew Trump would be there on Wednesday. That's true. Uh, Biden made the decision to visit Detroit Friday and he showed up 
He did show up on Tuesday and he made history. He became the first president in modern American history to join a picket line with striking workers for all of 12 minutes. How's that for solidarity? 12 minutes with the unions. That makes sense. I'm a union guy. Biden was signaling. He's a union guy. You get 12 minutes of my time because you're not paying me enough. Good on you, Joe. The Democratic Party thinks it has the unions in its pocket. For the most part, it does have the union leadership in its pocket, but not the workers. Like I just said, Trump, according to the BBC, got 40% of the union vote in 2020, even though when he was president, he decimated the National Labor Relations Board and did nothing, nothing for unions. Now, Trump politically can claim to have renegotiated NAFTA. He can claim, he can create the illusion of protectionism during his presidency. He slapped those tariffs on China, even though he doesn't understand how tariffs work. One could argue, and one would be wrong, but one could argue that by pretending to crack down on immigration, Trump created a condition where employers can't fill jobs, which created the conditions we're seeing right now of a flourishing labor movement. He could lay claim to that. The only problem is he hates unions. So in the past, and this is how I understand why 40 percent of union voters went with Trump. In the past, unions were in favor of protectionism, tariffs, and cracking down on immigrants. They don't anymore favor cracking down on immigrants or protectionism, but there is a strain of union members who still believe immigrants are taking good-paying union jobs away, who are anti-globalism and for protectionism. The union leadership isn't, but apparently 40% of union members are because Donald Trump got 40% of the union vote in 2020. So, meanwhile, the United Auto Workers announced that if there isn't a breakthrough in negotiations, the strike will expand at the end of the week. So far, of the 150,000 United Auto Workers, roughly 18,000 are on strike. And that number will probably increase by Friday. The United Auto Workers are demanding a 40% salary bump and a four-day work week, as well as an end to the two-tier system in which most workers hired after 2007 are considered hourly employees who are not entitled to health benefits or pensions. The big three automakers so far are only offering a 20% salary bump. In his speech Wednesday night, Donald Trump didn't say he supported the workers' demands. Instead, he scared the workers and told them things could get a lot worse. He trotted out the new but tired trope that Biden's green energy plan is a job killer for auto workers because electric cars require fewer workers, and that means 
They're all going to be made in China, says the guy who brags about slapping tariffs on China. But he can't, if elected president, stop electric cars from going to China. Well, the rap against Washington, D.C. is nothing gets done there. They can't pass a budget. They can't accomplish anything. Well, that's no longer true. Late Wednesday night, a formal dress code was finally passed in the Senate. And that means Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania will no longer be allowed to do the people's business by looking like the people. No more hoodies, no more shorts. It's formal business attire once again. A Senate resolution was introduced by two men of the people, Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin. They introduced a a legislation to make suits and ties mandatory in the Senate. And this is the kind of bipartisanship Washington so desperately needs. You know, the kind of bipartisanship where both parties have no problem reaching across the aisle to agree that everyone who serves in Washington should look, think, and of course, dress like the ruling class. Meanwhile, Senator Bob Menendez and his wife were arraigned in a Manhattan federal courtroom on charges of accepting bribes from the Egyptian government and three businessmen. But he was wearing a suit and a tie. Senator Menendez pleaded not guilty with an explanation, Your Honor, I'm from Jersey. He was then released on a $100,000 bail. So far, 30 Senate Democrats have called for Menendez to resign, as well as the governor of New Jersey. He's also, Phil Murphy is also saying Menendez has to go. Menendez is expected to make his case before the Democratic caucus later today and ask for more time so he can prove his innocence. He's going to make a speech where he urges his colleagues not to rush to judgment. Before leaving the courthouse on Wednesday, Menendez provided a little glimpse of how today's speech, begging for grace and reconciliation, is going to sound. To those who were digging my political grave so that they could jump into my seat, I know who you are, and I won't forget you. I know who you are, and I won't forget you. little glimpse of today's speech where he's going to appeal to the hearts and souls of his Democratic colleagues. I know who you are and I won't forget you. You know, I'm from Jersey. That's as polite as things get in Jersey. As long as he says, I know who you are and I won't forget you, as long as it just ends there, instead of including the following clause, and your sister will be found snuffed in a motel room with a sock in her mouth, We're all good. As long as he doesn't threaten your sister to be found snuffed inside a motel room in Bayonne with a sock in her mouth, we're all good. Menendez then walked to his car as a trail of hundreds and flakes of gold bullion billowed out of his coat pocket. That's what's going on in the Senate Meanwhile, in the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy is walking around like he's patient zero for the next big strain of COVID. Nobody 
and we've all been there. If you've ever had a job, you can relate to, <laughs> to what Kevin McCarthy is going through right now. He's got a stink on him and nobody wants to get near him because they're afraid they'll catch his stink. All of us have been there, you know, like you show up to work, even though you know and everyone else knows you're going to get fired. But the boss is hoping to make things so untenable They're the boss, he or she is hoping you'll quit so they don't have to give you any severance pay. They're hoping you quit. Right. So they just make things so horrible. That's what McCarthy is going through. Uh you know, he shows up. Nobody's asking him to sign Steve Scalise's birthday card. Meetings are going on that he's supposed to be running, but he doesn't even know they're happening. This is how many jobs have I had where that's happened to me, where everyone, including me, knows that I'm radioactive. I don't even want to be around me. And the people who were once my friends are now eyeing my office and my girlfriend and kind of saying, why, why don't you don't you have any self-respect? You're creeping everybody out. And I say, I know, I know. I have no choice. I need to show up. Otherwise, I don't get paid. And this is what McCarthy's going through. And he thinks he can endure it, but he can't. There's a lot of crying rooms that he's got in certain parts of the House of Representatives, just goes off and just weeps and cries. Uh, he's completely humiliated. That's McCarthy right now, going through the motions. Here he is on Wednesday pretending <laughs> this. I like to see him suffer because he's just an insufferable prick. Here he is on Wednesday pretending everything is normal, that he's the speaker and it's business as usual, and I'm in attack mode. This president has failed time and again. We've got pickets across the country. We've got a border wide open. We've got embassies that have to be evacuated. We've got allies that are now turning to China. This lack of leadership under this president has failed us time and again. Wow. This lack of leadership has failed us time and again. You know, I've got an IMAX theater around the corner from me that doesn't do projection like that. I mean, that is tremendously huge projection you got there. Speaker McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy plans to bring a continuing resolution bill to the floor of the House sometime tomorrow. He met with his caucus on Wednesday, and what I'm hearing is he's going to combine a continuing resolution with more spending for border security, and he's going to strip out any funding for Ukraine. And then he must get it passed by the Republicans. He's got to get all the Republicans on board, except for four or five, because no Democrat is going to vote for that. Uh and he still doesn't have the votes, doesn't have the votes. And then because the Democrats are marching in lockstep, lockstep, he can't reach out to them. If he works with the Democrats, they're going to file the Freedom Caucus is going to file a motion to vacate the chair. He's entirely dependent on his entire Republican caucus with just a five vote majority. So far, we know for certain that eight far-right conservative Republicans in the House 
probably as many as 20, including Matt Gates of Florida and Andy Biggs of Arizona, they have told McCarthy there is absolutely nothing you can offer us. We want the government to shut down. There's nothing you can give us. Uh, they won't even vote on it. They, they, they're saying, why even vote? We won't even dignify the vote. Shut the government down. No continuing resolution. They hate the idea of a continuing re resolution. They're saying to him, let's work on a 2024 budget line by line, bill by bill, shut the government down until we can get a 2024 budget. Well, as I reported yesterday, in the Senate, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell floated their own version of a continuing resolution. And it passed 77 to 19, but it was a procedural vote. They were testing the waters to see how many senators would get on board a continuing resolution that looks something like this. That's kind of what a procedural vote is. It's a like a focus group study of a bill before you say, OK, now let's vote on it. And now they're they they're getting feedback on the bill. Uh, so they're going to vote. I, I think they're going to vote on this continuing resolution sometime before Friday. Uh, there does seem to be some overwhelming support in the Senate for a continuing resolution that runs until the middle of November. And it keeps spending exactly where it was based on last year's budget, but adds an additional $12 billion, $6 billion for Ukraine and $6 billion for disaster relief. And that is negotiable. That's that's seems to be after they took the vote. I'll tell you about that in a second. Here is Mitch McConnell, Republican Senator Mitch McConnell, urging his colleagues in the House to vote for this continuing resolution. But these important discussions cannot progress if Congress simply fails to complete our work on standard short-term funding and the basic functions of government end up being taken hostage. So, Mr. President, a vote against a standard short-term funding measure is a vote against paying over a billion dollars in salary for Border Patrol and ICE agents working to track down lethal fentanyl and tame our open borders, letting FEMA's disaster relief fund dry up is not a productive way to advocate for victims of disasters. Letting small businesses loan applications collect dust is not a productive way to help working Americans contend with Washington Democrats' historic inflation. Shutting down the government isn't an effective way to make a point. Yep. That's Mitch McConnell being reasonable. But here... Let's go down to the House. Here is Florida Republican Byron Donalds. He's working closely with Kevin McCarthy. Now, Byron Donalds is hard, hard right, Freedom Caucus right. But McCarthy had Byron Donalds of Florida put his name 
on McCarthy's continuing resolution that was debated in the House last week and thoroughly rejected. So McCarthy kind of has Byron Donalds on his side. Here is Byron Donalds being asked if he or McCarthy would have any interest in voting on the bipartisan continuing resolution that is likely coming down from the Senate. No, that thing is dead over here. Are you kidding me? Why? Well, first of all, you continue spending. You have $6.2 billion for Ukraine. Um, they do nothing to secure our southern border. Uh, that is just a non-starter. The Senate needs to get real. What, what You've all seen the images of the southern border. It has to stop immediately. And this government should not continue to be funding funded if we don't secure our border. This government should not continue to be funded if we don't secure our borders. Well, so the bipartisan continuing resolution uh, was a trial balloon in the Senate, and it was just to see what kind of votes Schumer and McConnell could muster. And like I said, it passed two nights ago, 77 to 19. But now that the House has made it clear they won't accept it without more funding for the border. A lot of Senate Republicans are signaling they will not vote for the final version of the continuing resolution in the Senate unless it beefs up security for ICE and customs at the border. And as I said earlier, this bill, which seems perfectly reasonable, gives six billion dollars to Ukraine and That's unacceptable to House Republicans. They have made it clear. House Republicans have made it clear. We don't want to give any more money to Ukraine. They've waffled. You know, we always thought, where do they stand on Ukraine? We think they said they have pretty much declared war on the war in Ukraine. And so now Senate Republicans are trying to figure out how much Ukraine funding they can strip out of the continuing resolution to make it acceptable to House Republicans. Probably you could strip all six billion out of this resolution and House Republicans still won't vote for it because the only thing they hate more than the war in Ukraine is Washington, D.C. and government. So Kevin McCarthy, from what I understand... I was on the phone today and I was told that McCarthy has signaled to Senate Republicans they can send down any continuing resolution they want. If it contains any funding for the war in Ukraine, he won't bring it to a vote. Any funding for the war in Ukraine. So McCarthy is saying no more funding for Ukraine. I mean, this is a bold statement on behalf of the Republicans. They're saying no more war. The party of hawks, the party of the military industrial complex, they're the the peaceniks. Used to be the Democrats. Why? Well, it's complicated. They're, are they really for peace or for Putin? Meanwhile, members of the House on Wednesday received a memo It's a fait accompli. This memo proves that there's going to be a shutdown. 
the House sent out a memo outlining what a government shutdown is going to look like. So if the House is sending this memo, uh, means McCarthy is prepared for a government shutdown. The memo says only essential workers need show up when the government shuts down. And who, pray tell, who does the Republican Congress consider essential workers? You guessed it. Any staffers working on the impeachment of Joe Biden. The proceedings have begun. Tuesday, they begun. Yes, the investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings is essential. It's uh, a top priority during a government shutdown. Nobody's checking your turkey for salmonella. But there's going to be a full court press examining how many phone calls from Ukraine Hunter made to Joe. Sleep well, America. The Republicans are watching out for you. Meanwhile, Kevin McCarthy is still working on the 2024 budget. Debate proceeded on the defense appropriations bill. And, you know, uh, you got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Matt Gates, who, Neat, who Newt Gingrich calls deranged, Matt Gates, Republican Freedom Caucus, he's trying to attach a bipartisan amendment to the appropriations bill that bans the Biden administration from ever again giving cluster munitions to the Ukrainian military. Our, that's what our government is doing. We're giving cluster bombs to the Ukrainians. Jim McGovern, Democrat, has signed on to this amendment. You got to give credit where credit's due. Chip Roy got the House to agree to attaching $20 million to the Pentagon spending bill to fund an inspector general who will investigate what Ukraine is doing with all the weapons we're giving them. This has been a criticism of how the Biden administration has conducted this war. Billions of dollars of weapons are flowing unsupervised into Ukraine, and there is zero, and I do mean zero, accountability as to where these weapons end up. We had an inspector general in Afghanistan. We had an inspector general in Iraq. We do not have one tracking the weapons that we're giving to Ukraine. So good on Chip Roy. Eli Crane, the Republican from Arizona, got Congress to attach to the spending bill an amendment that bars any funding for U.S. troops to be deployed to Ukraine. So let this be a lesson for all of us. Okay, these are horrible people who are rooting for Vladimir Putin. Okay, but but. This is a master's class in how Congress can stop a war. Uh, you stop funding it. It's just that simple. And we could have done that with Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm a Democrat. I hate the Republicans. I would never, ever defend their actions. There's always an ulterior motive, and it's either money or bigotry. So all this defunding of Ukraine is about helping the great white Christian hope, Vladimir Putin. They're on the side. They wouldn't be doing this if we were 
They're not for peace. They're for Putin. But it's a lesson that we should remember in how to stop war. We could have done this with Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, there were times when Nancy Pelosi was speaker and spending bills come out of the House and she could have stopped the war in Iraq. She didn't like it. She voted against it to her credit. But when she became speaker and I believe she was speaker when George W. Bush was president, she could have defunded the war in Iraq. You stop funding it. Now, they come back with stop funding the troops, and you say, no, stop funding the war. We're only going to pay for what it costs to bring them home. But we allow the hawks and the cowards in the Democratic Party to frame the conversation with, you're going to defund the troops while they're in harm's way? And you have to say, no, we're going to fund the troops to take them out of harm's way. We're appropriating the funding to bring them home. Nancy Pelosi, when she was speaker, was against Iraq, and she could have done that. That's the power of the purse that Congress has. But instead, she chose to say, we will keep funding this war that I'm against so long as our troops are in harm's way. And everyone nods their heads. The Democrats all nod their heads and say, yes, that, that seems right. Yes, they're in harm's way. We, 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 we have to keep funding them. What she needed to say is we are only funding efforts to bring the soldiers home because I'm against this illegal war. But she hid her real intent behind rhetoric. She was against the war, but she didn't have the courage of her convictions to say, I'm speaker. This war is immoral. We're, we're only going to fund what it takes to bring the troops home. This is what the Republicans are doing with Ukraine. I don't know if they're going to succeed. I can't imagine this country. We're a war economy. I don't think anybody's allowed to stop the machine. But the, even if it's for Putin, it's, a interesting, it's an interesting story to follow if you're not living in Ukraine and being blown apart. It is interesting to see what the Republicans can do to stop the funding of the war in Ukraine. And what we could have done, it's a reminder of what we could have done if we had Democrats who had courage, especially the courage of their own con convictions. Well, there's also an appropriations bill for the Department of Agriculture being debated on the House floor. This has nothing to do with the continuing resolution. The government's shutting down, but McCarthy's given up on a continuing resolution, so they're debating the 2024 budget. And I, I don't know what happens once it shuts down. Uh, so the agriculture bill is being debated on the House floor. Do you remember Congressman Tommy Tiffany from Wisconsin? He's becoming my favorite Republican idiot. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee, and you might remember him from last week when he got to ask 
Attorney General Merrick Garland, this gotcha question. Do you support more crime? Do I support more crime? Yeah. No, I don't. Hmm. Almost got him. That was my favorite part <laughs> of Merrick Garland's testimony before the House Judiciary Committee. Tommy, you got to be careful around Tommy Tiffany. He's going to get you. He almost got Merrick Garland to say he supports crime. Well, here is the great, the Cicero of the 21st century, Tommy Tiffany, taking to the House floor on Wednesday and offering up this amendment to the Agriculture Department's Appropriations Bill. Mr. Speaker, my bipartisan amendment ensures that none of the funds made available by this bill will go towards funding a rule that will ban flavored milk like chocolate milk in schools. This would ensure that all types and flavors of milk are available to school children. This summer it was reported that the USDA is considering banning chocolate milk from elementary and middle schools. USDA issued a proposed rule in February that would set new nutrition standards for school meals. If implemented, the new standards proposed could limit the amount of flavored milk like chocolate and strawberry in high schools while children in elementary and middle schools would be restricted to a variety of unflavored milk. This rule would affect roughly 30 million students who participate in the school meal programs. According to the Journal of the American Dietetic Association, removing flavored milk from schools resulted in a 62 to 63 percent reduction in milk consumption by kids in kindergarten through fifth grade, as well as a 50 percent reduction in sixth through eighth grades. Milk is full of rich nutrients that support bone growth and development, and millions of children enjoy drinking it. No, milk is, milk is bad. I, I like this guy. Uh, a couple things here. What I like about him is, okay, we know milk is killing kids. We know it makes them fat. It clogs their arteries. It messes with the flora in your stomach. Milk is incredibly bad for kids. Okay. But how can we make it even worse for them? Let's add chocolate and strawberry flavoring and sugar which we know causes diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. That's what I love about Tommy Tiffany. He's watching out for our kids, making sure that they're obese, artery clogged, getting their legs hacked off from diabetes. This is the Republican Party taking care of our kids. And what I loved was, I don't know if you saw his assistant, Leonard, holding up a large sign featuring a kid-sized carton of milk with the words, come and take it. Come and take it. I guess from my cold, dead hands would have been what? Inappropriate? You're talking about jacking kids up on sugar and chocolate, and suddenly you're worried that from my cold, dead hands is tasteless? That is uh, Tommy Tiffany who is slowly, not slowly, quickly becoming my favorite United States congressman. So the Republican Party debated last night on Fox News. Trump didn't show up. Instead, he's not worried about any of these candidates. Uh, I don't think he should after watching that. He's right. Uh, and the, I mean, they're just... Did anybody who Chris Chris, he thinks 
He's got the nomination locked up. He's running right now. He's running in the general election. He's running a year from now. He's not thinking about the competition in the Republican Party. He's focusing on Biden. Here is Don Jr.'s fiance, the lovely Kimberly Gargoyle. Here she is Wednesday night in full attack mode. And she's thinking about next year, the general election. She's not focusing on the Republican candidates. She's not going after DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris Christie. No, she's leapfrogged over the primaries, past the convention, and straight to around a year from now when she thinks it will be her future father-in-law and Joe Biden fighting for the presidency. So here is Kimberly Gargoyle being mean. This is what she does best. She's being mean. She's attacking Joe. She attacks the way Senator John Fetterman looks. She calls Joe Biden old and well, you you this is her this is her best work. I mean, listen, they've got like, you know, Joe Biden on like slip and fall like suicide watch, okay? And one more fall from this, you know, Looney Tune, this clown of a president and it's over. That's what they're worried about. Now he's got to dress up in weird outfits like Fetterman so he doesn't slip. He's got to wear the tennis shoes or whatever. They're going to put him in a scooter next. I don't know. Wow. Making fun of the way Fetterman looks, calling Joe Biden old and fragile, that he needs a scooter like a rascal to get around. Uh, Wow. And, And what did you call it? What did you? What? This clown of a president. A clown of a president says Kimberly Gargoyle, who in one night goes through more eyeshadow, face primer, lip gloss and mascara than an entire season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Kimberly lives in Florida. You know, I'd be careful which bathroom you choose, Kimberly. There's some laws now. Uh, Be careful which bathroom you choose. Someone might call the cops. So, does Donald Trump have the nomination sewn up? He's got to win Iowa. And while he's way ahead of everyone, new polling is out. And it shows that likely voters in Iowa and New Hampshire, likely voters say uh, they would, uh, 70% of them say they would prefer a candidate other than Trump. 70% of likely Republican voters in New Hampshire and Iowa said they would prefer a candidate other than Trump. But he's still leading in the polls. In other words, in head-to-head matchups with DeSantis or Tim Scott or Vivek, they prefer Trump. But 70% say they would prefer someone other than Trump. And remember, Iowa is very, very, very hard to predict. You, you just don't vote in Iowa. It's, it's a caucus. You caucus. And that takes up a lot of time. It's a different breed of animal who shows up for a caucus. And that requires a ground game for the candidates, which Donald Trump does not have in Iowa. Of all the candidates, Donald Trump is spending the fewest amount of time in Iowa. And when he's there, it's just a rally. 
he flies in. It's Deux Machina. He gives the big speech and then he's back on Air Force Trump and he's out of there. But caucuses are different beasts. Caucuses are personal. And more importantly, you need the Christian right. If you're a Republican, you need the Christian right. You need them in Iowa, and then you need them in South Carolina. It goes Iowa, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina. If you don't have the Christian right, you don't win Iowa, and you don't win South Carolina. Uh, you know, Rick Santorum had the Christian right in 2012 because there was nobody more pro-life than that crackpot. And he surprised everybody. He beat Romney in the Republican Iowa caucuses in 2012. Ted Cruz surprised everyone. He won in 2016. He beat Trump in Iowa because he had the Christian right. Now, for some reason, and this I've mentioned this before, and I find it shocking. It, 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 to me, it, it kind of indicates that Trump is cracking, not thinking clearly. For some reason, Trump is pushing the evangelicals away on abortion. He's not really for a national ban. Uh, he's for negotiating abortion state by state. He's signaling a willingness to compromise on abortion. And you don't do that when you're courting the evangelical, the Christian right vote. But he's angry. He thinks the evangelicals are ungrateful. He, he's thinking, I got you three Supreme Court justices who overturned Roe v. Wade. What more do you want from me? He thinks it's ingratitude. He takes this very personal. He's got thin skin and he's mad at the evangelicals because they won't let up on abortion. Well, he can do this for the general election when he's running against Biden. You don't do this when you're running in Iowa and South Carolina. Uh, listen clearly. I, I found this piece here. Uh, he's been saying this a lot. He's doing an interview. Uh, listen clearly to what he says about the pro-life movement. He implies uh, it's more about fundraising than abortion. He, he implies that this anti-abortion stuff is about making money. Pay attention, because he's been saying this. this is, I have it on tape. He's been saying this a lot. I think something can happen. This is an issue that's been going on for 52 years. I was able to end it. That gave tremendous negotiating power to the pro-life movement. Tremendous negotiating power. Because they can't do the things that they used to be able to do. The pro-life was fighting it. We have these groups fighting this thing for so many decades. But it's exactly 52 years right. as of a date in the not-too-distant future. And that's a long time. Everybody's raising money all the time. Everybody, I don't know, maybe it's some kind of a business. I don't know what's going on. But it's a lot of money. Maybe it's some kind of business. I don't know what's going on. This is what he is saying. He said this publicly, but this is what he's saying to the people who on the phone and to his allies. He's very self-destructive. 
And for him to be challenging his base, the Christian right, it makes me question his sanity. Well, it always made, but he was always somewhat shrewd. He always knew who to court. This is, this is a major mistake. If this is what he's saying publicly, imagine what he's saying to the pro-life movement when nobody's listening. He's pushing them away. He, he, what he doesn't understand, because he is stupid, he thought Roe v. Wade meant we're going to get rid of abortion and we're going to end this whole pro-life issue. He didn't realize that it's all about states' rights and now you're fighting it out in each of the 50 states and it won't be good enough and you're going to need a national abortion ban. He doesn't realize that the, the pro-life movement wasn't sated by the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. It energized their bloodlust. They realized we can really win this. They want more. And he's telling them, no, I'm a moderate here. We can negotiate. Well, that's not how you keep the Family Research Council on your side. They've already backed away from Trump. L listen. And I put them in a great negotiating position, and we don't want to blow it. This is an incredible thing that happened. And we also bring it back to the states, which everybody, all legal scholars, both sides wanted it brought back to the states. We did a lot of things. Uh, we're in a tremendous position to negotiate something very good right now. He wants to negotiate on what got him into the Oval Office, the Christian right. They don't negotiate. They don't negotiate on abortion. They're not going to go state by state and go, is it six weeks, 15 weeks, three months? Zero. No abortion. It's non-negotiable. And you do this after you get the nomination and you're courting the centrist. This is bad. This is bad. And it makes me happy. It makes me very happy because he's not thinking clearly. Meanwhile, things continue to get worse for Trump. Uh, so I don't care what the polls are saying. I will tell you what the polls are saying. But... He is, I mean, he's way ahead in the Republican field. But Iowa is three, four months away. Uh, he's got four criminal trials next year, four criminal trials, plus another E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit, which he already lost. He lost the last one in May. And there's a second defamation suit that he's already lost. The trial is uh, on uh, the same day as the Iowa caucuses. And that trial is just to determine how much he has to pay her for the second round of defamations. And really important, this complete and utter humiliation on Tuesday in New York, where a judge ruled that Trump is guilty of defrauding banks insurers and the Internal Revenue Service. He was ordered to surrender his properties, basically liquidate them. It's incredible. You, you can't overstate how incredible, how embarrassing this would be if he were capable of shame. As we all know now, a judge ruled that Donald Trump inflated his net worth 
to secure favorable bank loans and insurance policies. In his decision, Judge Arthur F. Engerin said Trump had inflated the value of Trump Tower by as much as 2,300%. He ordered the, the judge ordered the dissolution of Trump's limited liability companies that control Trump's properties. They're like 100, 200, 300 little shell companies. They're all limited liability companies. The judge said liquidate them. He also ordered Trump to surrender his New York State business license. He also uh, told uh, Trump and his two imbecile sons that they are forbidden from doing business in New York State. Security for the judge immediately tightened. <laughs> it's not funny. Along with security for other New York court officials. This is the new reality with Donald Trump. This is mob shit. U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is overseeing the 2020 election case against Donald Trump in Washington, D.C., has also been assigned round-the-clock protection, which had to be beefed up yet again when she announced on Wednesday that she would not recuse herself from presiding over Donald Trump's election interference case. This is Jack Smith's Washington, D.C. indictment. Lawyers for Trump filed a motion for Judge Chutkin to recuse herself. They said she had handed out stiff sentences to January 6th rioters this year, that her sentences uh, to the January 6th rioters were too stiff, and they accused her of uh, saying when she was handing out the sentences that she wanted to jail Donald Trump. And she asked for evidence of her saying that, and they couldn't provide any. So on Wednesday, she issued a 20-page decision announcing she's going to preside. Trump lost yet again. She's not recusing herself. This is what she wrote. At the outset, it bears noting that the court has never, and by court, she, has never taken the position the defense ascribes to it that former President Trump should be prosecuted and imprisoned. She then added, and the defense does not cite any instance of the court ever uttering those words or anything similar. This is the kind of lawyering that Rudy Giuliani does. Uh, I got theories more than I have evidence. We have, they were saying, we have you, we have transcriptions of you saying that Donald Trump should be imprisoned. And the judge said, oh, okay, let's have a hearing. Uh, please produce those documents. Well, we're working more on theory than evidence. That is, by the way, that is what Rudy Giuliani said. In the 60 cases he lost in the lead up to January 6th, where he was challenging the election results, when, <laughs> when he was asked for evidence, Rudy would say, uh, well, these are, we have mostly theories right now. Uh, meanwhile, on Wednesday, Trump's other lawyers were back inside that New York courtroom where Judge Arthur Engren on Tuesday found Trump guilty of fraud. The It's incredible that it's incredible that Trump is still able to just get out of bed in the morning. Uh, he's a monster. 
He's not human. The uh, so the on Wednesday, his other lawyers were in a New York courtroom, the same courtroom going before Judge Arthur Angren, who on Tuesday found Trump guilty of fraud, basically ruling Donald Trump is not a man. That's basically the ruling. You're not a man because of the way Donald Trump defines manhood. You're not a man and your two sons are not men. The lawyers for Trump were seeking clarification as to where the $250 million lawsuit filed by State Attorney General Letitia James goes from here because she won, but the trial still starts next week, but she won. Uh, the judge in a summary judgment, that means just no jury. It's just the judge ruling from the bench. That's what a summary judgment means. He found Trump guilty on some counts on Tuesday. There are roughly five other counts, indictments, the judge must adjudicate. So supposedly the trial starts next week. In other words, the trial hadn't even started. And the judge said, guilty. Well, at least you're guilty of most of this stuff. All he had to do was look at Trump's books. And within seconds, he realized this is so demonstrably fraudulent. There will be no jury. This trial is simply before this judge. At, and uh, at one point, the Trump's attorney's reportedly showed contrition and humility. They were fined $7,500 each by the judge because they kept issuing these motions to delay the trial and the judge had it. So they were very uh, obsequious and they pointed out on Wednesday. And as you know, I delight in the suffering of certain people. So this makes me very happy because I do think there are bad people in the world, and I think they're capable of redemption. I don't think the Trump family is capable of redemption. And I grew up in New Jersey, and I remember all the homeless people that Donald Trump created. Uh, and this made me very happy. It probably shouldn't. It's a moral defect, but it made me happy. And I got to go with what, what I have. So this makes me happy. At one point on Wednesday, one of Trump's attorneys sadly pointed out that Trump's two broken down sons, Eric and Don Jr., live in homes that are owned by the limited liability companies that have now been ordered to be dissolved. The attorneys asked the judge very politely, does this mean that Eric and Don Jr. have to move out of these apartments. The judge said, I'll get back to you. So it makes me very happy. And if you look at what Eric and Don Jr. do, I mean, if they were successful businessmen, do you think, do you think Eric would be running around with General Michael Flynn with these crazy revival meetings and Don Jr. would be hosting a podcast on Rumble and running around the country doing politics if he if he was really running a business. 
if he was making the kind of money they claim that they're making? Of course not. You know, uh, Gargoyle, Kimberly Gargoyle is, and, and Don Jr. are like selling steaks, not Trump steaks. They're, they're selling anything to make money. There's no money there. They're desperate. So here is what we're looking at with this New York State Attorney General case, which is the ultimate humiliation for Donald Trump. It just proves he has no money. It proves what everyone who covered him for 40 years was saying. He has no money. He's in debt up to his eyeballs to the Russian mafia. Here is what we're looking at in this case, short of a successful appeal, which seems dubious. The judge has ordered all of Trump's New York properties, all, including his pride and joy Trump Tower and 40 Wall Street to go into receivership. All his companies, hundreds of shell companies, have been ordered dissolved. And that most probably means that in their dissolution, these companies must pay back what they owe their creditors. See, he owes money. He just the ruling isn't just he defrauded the the banks and the insurance companies. He owes them money. He's got to pay them back. Now he 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 owes the Russian mafia money. And now he's got to pay back the banks. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but when when you're borrowing from Deutsche Bank, you're not borrowing from Deutsche Bank. You're borrowing money that was put in Deutsche Bank by a former KGB agent who uh, is squirreling away ill-gotten gains. That's what Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Bank isn't lending their own money. They're lending dirty, filthy Mafia money. So he's borrowing from everybody to pay back Russian mobsters. But it looks nice because it's Deutsche Bank doing it for them. So uh, he's got to pay back his creditors. So these new lawyers, they're going to be new lawyers, lots and lots of work for lawyers. He's a job creator. These new lawyers will now be putting all of Trump's companies into bankruptcy. And the only legal remedy the lawyers will have in paying off the debts uh, will be selling all the buildings, selling all the buildings. Trump Tower has to be sold with Melania still in it. And she's going to have to move out. They're not going to let her. This is business. Whoever is the creditor, whichever Russian mobster is the creditor, they don't, oh, Melania needs a place to live. Boo hoo hoo. 40 Wall Street is going to have to be sold. All the other hotels and apartment buildings are all going to be, they're all going to be sold to pay off creditors pennies on the dollar. And the people he owes money to right now don't take pennies on the dollar. You, you just can't declare bankruptcy with these people. And they go, oh, OK, uh, two cents instead of a dollar. I guess we'll just have to accept that. Uh, the sons have to move out. Melania has to move out. Uh, 
Trump lives in the Bedminster, New Jersey golf club. I am too messant. At my age, this is what makes me too messant. He lives in the Bedminster, New Jersey golf club, right? Half the time. I'll get to Mar-a-Lago in a second. Uh, is my mouth foaming? I'm like, I am just, I, I just love this. I love this. So he hides out of the Bedminster, New Jersey golf club that he supposedly owns. And which shell corporations own that? And how are they related to the New York shell companies, all of which are being dissolved? It is conceivable that Donald Trump will have to move out of the Bedminster golf course and dig up Ivana, because she's buried there. Uh, Where's he going to go? Well, he can go back to Mar-a-Lago. That's in Florida. It's really hard to seize assets in Florida. It's where OJ moved after he lost the civil lawsuit filed by Ron Goldman's dad. It's hard to collect from someone living in Florida which is why Trump moved there. But if Trump is as broke as we know he is, uh, he's now running out of options. And by options, I mean cash. So that probably means for the cash, he's got to sell Mar-a-Lago, which I doubt he ever really owned. But what could he get for it? Uh His idiot, and this was beautiful, uh, in the trial, the judge said you inflated the value of Mar-a-Lago when you borrowed against it. He borrowed against Mar-a-Lago. That's the case that he lost in in New York on Tuesday. He borrowed against Mar-a-Lago and inflated the value of it in order to get more money to borrow. He said it was worth a billion dollars. And the judge said, no, it's not. There are all these restrictions on it. You can't sell it. You can't subdivide it. You're stuck. It's a historical piece of real estate that all the bylaws are written in that forbids you from doing anything to this building. So he said it was a billion. And it's estimated that uh, 29 million. It's worth 30 million. That's what it was estimated in the trial. And the idiot son, Eric Trump, takes the social media and says, This is a coordinated effort to destroy my father. Mar a Lago is easily worth $1 billion. Why is that stupid? Because. That means the tax assessor down in Florida is going to come a calling and saying, really, this is worth a billion dollars? Well, you're going to have to pay more in taxes on this property. Uh, So at some point, he's got to walk away from Mar-a-Lago. And I don't know if he's not going to end up homeless. But if we pray... You know, if you could put your hand on your computer right now and pray with me, 
that Donald Trump ends up homeless and living on the street. Uh, that would make me the happiest man in the world because I grew up watching him create homeless people. And uh, they say there's no justice in this world, but to see Don Jr. and Eric carrying their mother's coffin and Melania and Donald Trump just living on the streets. Uh, let's pray together. Okay, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, he's got a liquidity problem, and I'm not just talking about his diapers. What, what kept him afloat for the past, since 2015, was running for president and then being president. That kept money flowing into the organization. Uh, there was a lot of fundraising that he was able to live off of and keep the mobsters obey, right? Just, okay, here's some, here's some of it. There'll be more. I'm the president. And look at all these donations, the Save America PAC. Look at all the monies that's being raised to save democracy. Here, it takes, takes and and at some point, he can't keep this going. It is mathematically impossible for Bernie Madoff or Donald Trump to keep this scheme going. You cannot keep borrowing money and or raise money on false pretenses until you, A, run out of the money and B, get arrested. And that's what's that's what's happening. Uh and he's beginning to make mistakes. He's going after the Christian right. He's misspeaking at his rallies, and that's not good for a bully. You can't misspeak and then accuse Joe Biden of getting old. Financial and emotional exhaustion kick in by Christmas. He's losing. He is losing. People say, everybody's like, I was talking to my sister, you know, we, we keep, uh, everybody, you know, he, he lost this case in New York, but he's still what? He's still what? He's losing. He's not in jail. He's lost everything. He, lo he lost in 2020. Uh, he even lost in 2016. He, he won the electoral. He, he, he's a loser. And... Uh, He's losing. He's on one of the great losing streaks. He's almost going to beat my record. Uh, and, and then what happens? He loses in Iowa. It's conceivable. There are surprises. Or South Carolina. He freaks out. He starts saying things that are even unacceptable to the pigs who vote for him. So the fraud case doesn't mean jail. Because it's a civil, it's not a criminal trial. But in many ways, it's far worse for Trump because it strikes at the very core of how he defines himself. It, it, it's, it reveals who Trump claims to be versus who he really is. It also explains why he ran for president in 2015 
He was up to his neck in debt. If you have a billion dollars, are you really going to run for president and put yourself through that ringer? He doesn't love this country. And uh, we will never know who he owes this money to. I just know that their names begin with Igor and Vladimir. And here he is. He has to keep running for president. He's running. He's running to stay out of prison. And he needs the donations. That's what provides him with the liquidity. Nobody will do business with him. Nobody will lend him money. Nobody. Nobody does business with him. The Save America PAC raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's next. That's the next tranche of indictments that are coming out of Jack Smith's office. Wire fraud. Wire fraud. The fundraising for the Save America PAC, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars were raised after the 2020 presidential election to investigate election fraud. Where'd the money go? Nobody knows. So this decision from the New York state judge on Tuesday, it hurts Trump personally and politically. Yeah, he'll get a bump in the polls. But here's the thing. Here's the real problem. Forget the future of our democracy or the, if he wins. Take that off the table. Here's a question you really have to consider in enjoying his demise. Who in their right mind would get next to this guy now? He is on an historical losing streak. He's radioactive. Again, he lost the 2020 presidential election. He lost 60 appeals in the courts to reverse that election defeat. He just lost the massive lawsuit filed by the New York State Attorney General, which just rips his heart wide open for everyone to see that it's empty. He lost the first E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuits, got to pay her $5 million which he doesn't have. He's already lost the second E. Jean Carroll defamation lawsuit, uh, which starts in January. They just have to have a trial to determine how much more he must pay, pay her. We haven't even touched on the four separate criminal trials in Manhattan, Miami, Washington, D.C., and Georgia, which he tried to get delayed until after the presidential elections, and he lost all four of those motions. This is an incredible losing streak. He lost the lawsuits against Trump University. He lost another lawsuit in New York uh, that now uh, a civil trial. I think it was Letitia James. Uh, he's forbidden from ever running a charity in New York. He ripped off his own charity. He and his sons have to surrender their business licenses. They can't do business. Nobody will lend to him. And now there's a bigger indictment coming his way. The hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that he raised through his Save America pack. And he can't tell anybody where it went. He, has, he claims he has no idea. So who's working with him? Who is he surrounded by? Well, you get an idea when you look at the classified documents case. 
the other people indicted were his valet, his gardener, uh, somebody who was a groundskeeper who got bumped up to be head of IT. Who's he talking to these days? Rudy Giuliani comes out to the golf club for free whiskey. Uh, who would work for him? You're not going to get paid. And you're going to get indicted. He's radioactive. He's got Jason Miller. Who else would work for him? Who would you hitch your ride to him? Maybe in 2016, I'm reading Cassidy Hutchinson's book. It's amazing. She's amazing. You should buy the book. She deserves the money. Somebody as as golden as Cassidy Hutchinson believed him in believed in him in 2016. Who is going to work for him? Only an idiot. If you work for Trump now, even if he's nominated and he wins the pre president, you're, 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 you're still the system is there's still a system here. You're still going to have millions in legal fees. Jared's gone. Ivanka's gone. He's relying on Don Jr. for advice. Would you rely on Don Jr. for any advice? I wouldn't rely on Don Jr. for advice on how to remove a cockroach from my sink. He's about to be homeless. And uh, you can't run for president without a support staff. You just can't do it. He doesn't have a support staff. He can't just record messages from Mar-a-Lago and then fly into New Hampshire, or fly into uh South Carolina, and then fly out. He's, he's got no ground game. Nobody wins without a ground game. Yeah, he's leading in the polls. The polls need nothing. They mean nothing. And this New York State judge stripped him of his manhood on Tuesday. I have to believe that at some point, even a sociopath knows how things look to others. Even someone with no empathy. When you, when you go down this low and Trump is at the bottom, eventually he's got to realize how he looks to others. At, at some point, even a sociopath begins to realize the only people giving me advice are other desperate sociopaths. Idiots. He's surrounded by idiots. You know, it used to be only an idiot would vote for Trump. Now only an idiot would get next to him. It's been a good week. It's, gonna, it's a good week. It's going to be a rough 2024. It's going to be a rough 2024. Uh, there's some bad people we're going to stir up a lot of crap. But enjoy this week. Enjoy his suffering and humiliation. He deserves all of it and much more. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.